0: Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I am Jeremy from Utah. And I'm Ken from Indiana. Let me ask you a
1: question, Ken. Well, rather, evaluate these statements, if you would. The first statement is, what's true for you is true for you. False. <laughs> how, about, how about this statement, which is, I guess, more of a ideology separate but equal good connotations bad connotations
0: context give me context
1: (laughs) we (laughs) shall in this episode of do theology Calvinism is much false doctrine as a woman preacher well of course in fundamentalism you define everything as a gospel issue this is a true mark of christian maturity
2: to discern the difference of issues i got an idea That's not wrong with anybody who thinks they got another idea. There's a lot of different understandings of what the days are in Genesis 1 and to what degree evolution was part of how God created things. I have disagreements with him in some areas, but those are adiophora. Those are side issues, many important issues. So many Bible doctrines are ruined when we use the wrong words. This is why it's so critical that we use only the King James Bible. You gotta have that right or... Get out of here. pray, God, that I don't take every minor thing and make a major thing out of it. Nothing divides like truth.
1: I respect them as brothers in the Lord with whom I have some strong differences, but they have a big problem with me. Is there a way that we can work together? I think fundamentally we have to say
2: yes. Christians can disagree and still kick it.
1: All right, well, it has been a while since we have recorded an episode to give... You, dear listener, a peek behind the curtain. We are recording this on Friday, August 21st of 2020. We typically like to record things well in advance, which we have been doing because we had lots of stuff going on this summer where we wouldn't be able to record. But now we are back in our places, kind of getting into the routine of things again, hopefully. Um, We've been through a lot over the last several weeks. Do you want to give a short update, Ken, and then I'll give a short update?
0: Sure. So for us... We've uh, our church plant uh, got a facility. We started meeting in there, which we're praising God for that. And we've started getting engaged with some different evangelism opportunities around that we're really excited about, and um, starting to really get really get the message of the gospel out and be very active in that. So it's been it's been exciting. It's been fun starting to see some new faces coming to Bible study. So yeah, it's been great. And you had your back thrown out. That's true. I forgot about that because it's actually feeling better now. But I did. I threw my back out at work. Worst back pain I've ever experienced. Dropped me to my knees. I couldn't stand up for 15 minutes, and was very limited in my mobility for a few weeks. But feeling good now. this This was my this week was my first week back to work, and we're doing good.
1: Now you're back. Mm-hmm. Well- uh, my wife and I, uh, my whole family, went on a sabbatical back to our home state of Missouri. And we were gone for six weeks. Um, and now we are back in Utah working on getting back into our routine with our three little kids. Tough getting out of routine and then trying to come back into a routine. So, And we were sick and you were sick, Ken. yes. What may or may not have been coronavirus, we will not disclose that information. (laughs) Um, I'm still dealing with some strange symptoms, trying to get back to feeling normal. Um, I have streaks of feeling better, streaks of feeling worse. Uh, I think right now I'm somewhere in between. And just, uh, yeah, working working on getting back to where we were before we went on this sabbatical, which is proving tough to do. We haven't been back for a full week yet though. So anyway, yeah, there it is. That's what's up. All right. Can two Christians who hold different views of a secondary doctrine claim validity equally? Um, or does one necessarily have to be more valid than the other? Um, and so that, that might sound a little bit confusing or a little bit complex, but, you know, one of the examples we'll get into, I'm just going to mention it now and we'll get back to it later, is Baptist and Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. So you've got one group, Presbyterians, that sprinkle babies and another group that refuses to do so. Can they both legitimately claim validity of their doctrine in that area, their doctrine of baptism? And can we affirm that, that they're equally valid, even though they're opposed Which is why I was asking at
0: the beginning, what's true for you is true for you, or separate but equal. There we go. And those are, I never want to answer questions without context, and now we have our context. Yeah. So we need to define some terms. Is this, uh, we want to be careful that we can try to communicate things as clearly and simply as we can. uh, We want to define terms, but as we even approach that... Let's talk about our second column again. Last, in the first season, we had two episodes talking about the second column. Second which, column of what? Of The Charts! Where which, which of of can they find The Chart? You can find at DoTheology.com and click on the button that says The Chart. The Chart. Fantastic resource that we encourage people to check out and download and grab a hold of. Don't feel shy about distributing that. It's uh, it's uh, It's handy. So... We talked about that for two episodes, and we broke down the definition for why the second column exists and the principle that helps define what belongs in that second column. So you want to give us the rundown on that? Define define what belongs, what's the principle behind the second column? Well, you asked me to do
1: this, and I didn't have it pulled up in front of me, Ken. I should have it memorized, of course, but uh, alas, I do not well, you mean <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it should just roll off, roll off my tongue, but it doesn't. Um, so the idea with secondary doctrine is that these are issues on which Scripture allows for interpretive differences. So they do cause some divisions. They cause denominational divides, and our principle here is to take a stance on these, but we should keep fellowship with other believers who happen to disagree with us on these issues.
0: When we say keep fellowship, that doesn't necessarily mean within the same church, right? It, it could mean that, but it also—you yeah. it you, you mentioned it can create uh, denominational divides. So when mm-hmm. we say keep fellowship, that doesn't mean you're both members of the same church necessarily. But when you view other believers who affirm everything in that first column as true— then we keep fellowship with, other, with those believers as recognizing him as true believers. They're not heretical, they're not heretics, they're not outside of the bounds of Orthodox Christianity.
1: Well, not, not only do they cause denominational divides, but they do, like in the definition, it says divisions. So if you are going to the same church, it has the potential to, decu- to cause divisions within the same local body.
0: It has that potential. Yes, it doesn't have yeah. to. It doesn't have to. But so many times it does, uh, yeah. sadly. so. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's what we're. That's kind of where we're coming from when we talk about this separate but equal, um, different but equally valid approach. Here is we're living in that column of the chart. So this isn't. This doesn't have to do with doctrines that are definitional to Christianity, and this doesn't have to do with conviction issues, uh, personal conviction issues, but rather this has to do with doctrines that um, we ha- all have our personal opinion on to some degree or another. Um, but doctrines that we can agree to disagree about that mm-hmm. scripture allows us to agree to disagree about.
0: right Because as we've defined, again you, you use that term definitional to Christianity there and that for that first column, those are issues we would say transcend hermeneutics And this is now when we need to define the word hermeneutic because that's that's the central yeah. idea within the second column is that there's hermeneutical differences that lead to these different positions on these second, column issues.
1: Yeah, so like anybody um, with—well, first, let's just
0: define hermeneutic, I guess. You want to do that? Sure. A hermeneutic, real simple, is just a method of interpretation. How, what interpretive grid do we bring to the Bible when we start, when we open it up, we want to understand it, and we want to apply it to our lives. What is our interpretive grid? That is called our hermeneutic. And there are different believers— who use different interpretive grids, different hermeneutics, a different method of interpretation when they seek to understand and apply God's Word.
1: Yes. So when you think of the chart, hopefully you've seen it or you're pulling it up and you can see it now, those matters of doctrine that are in the first column, primary doctrine, those beliefs, we say, transcend methods of interpretation meaning as long as you have a reasonable interpretation um, and when I say reasonable it's just kind of the way that you view, the way that you view the world is a is a hermeneutic essentially the way you go about your life and understand what you see on TV and understand the news and understand uh, conversation with somebody any type of reasonable hermeneutic that is just rooted in basic communication will have you land on those things in the first column because they're clearly spelled out in scripture beyond any kind of reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about the fact that you know men are sinful. You can't you can't read the Bible with a reasonable method of interpretation and come out saying, "You know what? I don't think we are sinful." Right? right. It's very very clear. It's beyond a reasonable doubt that Jesus came to save sinners, right? That he died mm-hmm. on a cross, that he rose again. That those things are just they're beyond Uh, again, a reasonable doubt. Now, the second column, these things are, you know, more difficult, and the way that we land on a conviction uh, with these doctrines is based on our approach to Scripture. So, um, like I said, we're going to get into some examples here in just a moment, which will hopefully clarify this for you. But, But what we're talking about today is, okay, you've got one believer over here that uses this method of interpretation that makes him land here on this issue, and this believer uses a different method of interpretation and makes him land over there on this issue. Are they equally valid because this is secondary, or does one necessarily have to be valid and therefore the other invalid? Uh, How do we juggle that?
0: Yeah, and the whole, the valid discussion can create some some tension with that very discussion because you know and a lot of times when we hear if something is valid or invalid we are so often receiving that as it's true or it's not true or it's right versus it's incorrect and that's not what we mean by valid when we talk about valid you know when we're talking about logic if the premises are true the conclusion is true that's the definition of w- whether or not an argument is valid if the if uh, that it flows logically, that the conclusion logically flows from the premises. Now you can have f- incorrect premises and still have a valid argument, and that's tricky.
1: What? now Say it again for the people who just spaced out. Right. <laughs>
0: no, really. Because yeah. I I got a feeling there are people who just spaced
1: out on that. So I, uh... is there a way that you can you can say that again in a in one sentence? That is just the
0: elementary point that we're making here. If if it's consistent, it's valid. If it's inconsistent, it's invalid. You can have a consistent argument that is still wrong, but it's valid. Okay. Logically. And and we
1: would add one layer to that in light of this being a Christian discussion, in light of this having to do with Christian theology and thinking about the chart— Um, we will define valid, um, a valid hermeneutic or a valid belief as being consistent and Mm non-heretical. Okay? So, um, if if a fellow believer is in line on the first column, those things that are true beyond a reasonable doubt when you read through Scripture, if someone is in line with the rest of Christianity on that, then, it's not, then that person's not a heretic. So then as we think of the second column, as long as that person is being consistent with his or her method of interpretation um, and, and uh, maintaining that non-heretical position, then we will say that that person is valid in believing what he or she believes.
0: Even if they're wrong. <laughs> Yeah,
1: well, yeah. because at the end of the day, when it comes to what's true for you, what is true for you or whatever, at the end of the day, okay, those opposing methods of baptism both can't be right. Right. If they're in opposition, one is right and the other one's not.
0: Right. Which is, um, yeah, and it's, yeah. that's a critical point because we're not, we're not postmodern, right? We're not saying that, that all of these are equally true when we say they're equally valid. So we want to make that distinction. Yes,
1: but ju- as, just as important as saying the, the two opposing views can't both be true, it's also important to say that they can both be valid. Right. Meaning, and, and this is at what's at the heart of the second column, meaning we could be wrong about our personal belief on I- any given issue in the second column. Now, we might be 99.999% sure that we're right, but we can't be as sure that we're right about things in the second column as we are in the first column. Right. And mm-hmm. if we now, if we start saying that something in that second column, we are it's it's beyond a, a reasonable doubt. Well, then now we're elevating it to being mm-hmm. definitional to Christianity. Yep. And do we? Do you want to do that with that issue? Right. Uh, and and I won't do that with something like baptism because I have to leave room that I could be wrong about that because I have brothers and sisters in the faith who are who have a valid method of interpretation who might be right on that. Now, again, that's an issue I'm 99% sure I'm right, but I'm not going I cannot elevate that my the method of baptism. I cannot elevate that to being definitional to Christianity. Otherwise, I'm saying t- t- that RC Sproul is in hell, right? Or, you know, any other Presbyterian, John Calvin, John Knox, all those guys, you know, I I can't won't do
0: that. Mhm. All the reformers, you know. Pretty much, you know, a lot of most most of the non-Anabaptist reformers, you know, they mm-hmm. they would all uh, be be excluded from from the faith at that point. Yeah. So yeah, which is why
1: I have a system of primary and secondary reformers. All the all the Anabaptists are primary reformers, and those <laughs> lame baby sprinklers like John Calvin, they're secondary reformers.
0: <laughs> Did you just make that up? Or is that real? <laughs> I made that up. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Okay, so as hopefully that helps uh, kind of bring some context to this discussion, and hopefully that makes it clear as we talk about these things and answer maybe some objections that people might have to the valid-invalid uh, line of reasoning, uh, but we want to be clear about that as much as we can. So we've already kind of brought in one of the examples that we were going to talk about. Um, that's the issue of baptism. Yeah, that's so, a real easy one, I yeah. think, relatable for a lot of people. Right, we're you and I are both, credo Baptists. We believe we practice believer's baptism, but we know that there we, we mentioned the Presbyterians who practice infant baptism. They baptize babies. How do we understand that? Um, yeah, yeah.
1: So um, if you have been following our podcast, you know you know that the last episode we did was an interview with Josh Bice, the president of G Three Ministries. And he's in an interesting spot because he's, um, reformed. He's a reformed Baptist. So he's Calvinistic. Um, I believe, I mean, he's not dispensational. I believe he's probably amillennial, maybe historic pre-mill or something, but he's a reformed Baptist. He's in the Southern Baptist convention and he's a pastor yet. He also is the president of this parachurch ministry that holds conferences and he invites people like Joel Beakey, who he mentions in this clip and, um, and others who are Presbyterian, who sprinkle babies. now they So they come together, these Reformed Baptists and these Presbyterians, they come together at these conferences, though they don't go to the same churches on Sunday morning, they come together at these conferences and minister together. So we asked them about that in the last episode, and we want to play a clip from that and uh, respond to it, because it's it's right on this very point.
2: But as it pertains to crossing over, say, from our denomination to other denominations, we have worked with other Christian groups and, and with other pastors who are not Southern Baptists or who even aren't Baptist at all. And we think that that is possible as we come together on the gospel. Obviously, there are certain positions that are going to keep us from being members of the same church. So when I'm talking about my friends who are Presbyterians, obviously, I could say, that a Joel Beakey can preach in our G3 conference, for instance. And in fact, in our very first G3, we made it a point to have Presbyterians who were preaching right alongside Baptists, and and we did that uh, with great intentionality. But You're so ecumenical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so we're trying to to work and to serve together and cooperate together, but at the same time, Um, we know that on the Lord's Day, when the conference comes to a close, that we're going to be in two different different uh, congregations. And the reason for that is simply because of the fact that we don't baptize babies. And we're very clear that we don't see that exemplified and taught in Scripture. But I can see the logical the logical connection to circumcision and I see how they get to where they stand theologically, but we're not going to be members of the same church. So yeah, I think that having a healthy cooperation, even within and outside of your denomination is very important, but yet not compromising on key tenets of the gospel. So there are specific areas that we're not going to bend on, if that makes sense. Oh
1: yeah. So there it is. Um, I, the last part, That he said maybe the last thirty seconds I think is the most uh, critical to this, where he says, "I see how they get there," and he he doesn't say their method of interpretation is valid, but I think he's basically saying that you know it's like a a recognition of that's just that's how they view it, and that's I'm not going to condemn them for that, right? Yeah, and and isn't that uh, that's how simple this is, uh, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it it is provided we are categorizing things in the right column, right? Which is what which is why the that uh, the chart is so helpful in that way. Well, yeah, so
1: he's not saying look, uh you know, that they're, they're right and we're right, they're wrong and we're we're wrong. He's not going there, and that's not where we would go. One well, one might be right and one might be wrong, or they both could be wrong, I guess, uh, those methods of baptism. Uh, I don't know if there's really a third way, but. Uh, so, yeah, we're not saying like the postmoderns do that everybody's in the right, um, but we are re- at least recognizing Presbyterians as having a valid hermeneutic, though we think it's v- quite strange to connect Old Testament circumcision to New Testament baptism. Right. Um,
0: but. Yeah. Would the third way on that be uh, believer's baptism, but only through sprinkling and not through immersion? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's the first example. Do you have anything else to say on that?
1: Um, well, I, I do want to challenge people who are listening as far as whether you are a Baptist or a Presbyterian. If you have a hard time it, admitting that the other view is valid... <laughs> I think that says something, right? If you have a hard time admitting that someone who holds a different view than you on the method of baptism holds a valid view, that might be revealing that you don't have doctrine in its place. Uh, now, I understand there's passion around doctrine. There should be passion around doctrine. But... Um, we got to have balance, and it's really easy to get out of balance on this one.
0: Yeah. Do you think a lot of the people who recognize the general principle of the second column, but would have trouble with the terminology? It would be just a matter of of understanding the definitions of what we mean by valid, or do you think there's more than that?
1: Yeah, I I think so, um, because it does sound like postmodern.
0: Right, and I think that's what people probably react against more than anything else.
1: But even if you've you've heard us out on our definition of valid and what we're saying, and you're still struggling, then that's a sign.
0: Probably so. And and
1: I get it. I mean, people who are, if you're Calvinistic or non-Calvinistic, you're going to be really passionate about that either way, probably, and have a hard time understanding how the other view isn't heretical. You know, how could those Calvinists who believe in limited atonement really be saved if they don't think Jesus died for all people? very passionate about that there's some who are the, that passionate or from the calvinistic view how how these arminians they're just pelagians right they believe that that you qualify yourself for salvation um, getting to the charismatic issue that's a mm. really sticky one because that one very easily jumps to the first column uh, in certain areas but we we have to admit at a fundamental level that there are people who can be continuationists as far as the sign gifts go and can be can have a valid view on that. Just the way it is. Yep. Now they're wrong, but they're valid. Yeah. <laughs> What's another area where that we can chat about concerning this issue?
0: Yeah, so another one that I think probably a lot of people would be able to connect with and grasp a little bit more is the areas of eschatology. And eschatology is a big word just refers to study of the last things. So what happens at the end of time? You know, when we're uh, the church age that we are in right now, is there a rapture? What is the timing of the rapture? When is Jesus coming back in relation to his kingdom, et cetera?
1: Are you saying that there are some so-called Christians out there who disagree with Kirk Cameron? Yep. <laughs> wow. What a quagmire. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, why don't you just walk through, like, the three main millennial views?
0: Sure. So the first is the pre-millennial view, which states that Jesus Christ is going to come back to Earth, set up His kingdom, and it's going to be a literal 1,000-year reign on planet Earth. Jesus Christ will rule and reign personally and physically from Jerusalem. That is the pre-millennial view. He comes back before the millennium. Second view is the post-millennial view, which views the 1,000-year reign more, uh, not as a literal 1,000 years per se, but as a, a, a long period of time. And at the end of which, Jesus Christ will come back and destroy all of his en- enemies and usher in the, uh, the eternal state. Yes, yeah, so some post-millennialists take it as a literal 1,000 years.
1: Um, okay. And some take it as more of a, a figurative thing. Um, but I think, you know, probably what's most unique to them as we look to differentiate them from the next view is that post-millennialists believe that the tribulation time is squarely behind us and things are getting better.
0: Right. So they're, yeah, it's, they view, it's a very, say, optimistic viewpoint on the present and the future and that our job as the church is to essentially usher in that kingdom is to continue to build and grow a Christian society uh, and make, make the world a Christian place at which time Jesus Christ will return and claim his kingdom that we have built here, essentially. Yeah. Third view is the millennial view, which the, the prefix a all- means not, and then millennial, uh, they, they don't believe in a literal millennium of any kind they believe that the millennium is a spiritual idea that is happening now where Christ is currently ruling and reigning in our hearts and a lot of a lot of the language in revelation is either descriptions of the past or is figurative and Christ will one day return but there's no millennium to speak of or um or literal tribulation
1: time either. Right. So where pre- and post-millennialists would agree is that there's a literal time of tribulation. Post-millennialists put that way back in the first century. pre by and large, not all, but by and large, put it in the future mm-hmm. as a literal time. And all millennialists say just as the millennium is figurative, so is the tribulation. They're happening at the same time.
0: Yes, and for whoever is listening, whatever position you take when you hear the description of these other systems, and if all you've ever known is just the one viewpoint, you're going to be like, what? People believe that about the end times? What? What and Bible are they reading? Exactly, because it's just been, it may be something that you've just always always been taught that one thing, the churches you've always been a part of have always advocated for that one thing, and it leads to, it leads to different approaches on a variety of issues, but... Yeah, it's, and yet we recognize okay, even though people may be coming from different places on this and they've arrived to those conclusions, they've arrived on a premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial position based on their interpretive grid, their method of interpretation, their hermeneutics, those three positions are all valid.
1: Meaning non heretical and consistent. Yes. Now there is, um, there is a point with all of those, just just like anything in the second column, when we've had an episode about this, anything can become heretical. Mm-hmm. Um, any view of anything. You can take it and you can work on it, work on it, work on it. Next thing you know, you're a heretic. Um, but as long as they're consistent and non-heretical, we can say valid. Now, some people might challenge that word consistent. Um for instance, you and I, we have publicly admitted that we're dispensational, and our hermeneutic is dispensational. And it's, I think it's very easy from our viewpoint, particularly, to look at other systems of hermeneutics and say, well, they're inconsistent, so they're invalid. We're the only consistent approach to Scripture. Right. What, what do you make of that, Ken, someone who might make that argument who's of the same circles as us?
0: It's, it's a very difficult conversation because I think a lot of times what happens is we say they're inconsistent with my hermeneutic, <laughs> is the reality of what's actually going on. is where Because it's, it, it's, it's difficult, too, because both multiple hermeneutical approaches can take a position that says, I'm trying to understand the original author's intents. And so the discussion and the disagreement comes over what did the original author intend to mean, and which author, the divine author or the human author. And now we're getting into all kinds of hermeneutical weeds that could lead to a lot of different discussions. Um, But so much of the time, it's the breakdown of those issues that lead to, even though I'm claiming a consistent historical, grammatical, contextual approach to Scripture, there may be somebody else who is claiming essentially the same thing, and yet we have a a slight different understanding on perhaps the the context or uh, tr- understanding of of a few other issues that leads to okay, even though we're both saying that we have a grammatical historical approach, there's something else that is leading to different conclusions, yeah. And now I've used historical, grammatical, and contextual without defining any of those terms. Yeah, you
1: have. (laughs) But I think realistically at the end of the day, we just have to say that that these are secondary issues, and because they are secondary, we are acknowledging some sort of validity uh, with their belief Mm -hmm. because it's non-heretical, and there's freedom there and they can be consistent. Now, because we might point the finger and say, look, those millennialists they're being so inconsistent in harmonizing the Old Testament and New Testament because their priorities are all off in the way that they go about reaching their conclusions. And that's like what you're saying is, well, they're not doing it the way I'm doing it, therefore they're invalid. Right. Um, now, that doesn't mean you say, well, it's just a crapshoot, flip a coin and... And figure out which uh, hermeneutic approach, hermeneutical approach, you want, and just go with that one because it doesn't matter. It it all does matter Mm -hmm. because it's God's word, and these are important doctrines. But there has to be balance in this, meaning we recognize that their system of belief is valid, Right. right? Because it's consistent and non heretical. I'm not going to say that someone like James White, who's a millennial. I'm not going to point the finger at him and call him inconsistent because he might challenge me to a debate and reveal
0: how inconsistent I am. So I'm not going to do that. And probably mop the floor with you, even though he'd be wrong. (laughs) Yeah. But we would say, too, you know, when we talk about things being valid and that they and yet these things matter when we approach these things, because there are real world implications that happens When we take different viewpoints, especially, you know, a lot of people talk about eschatology and say, well, it doesn't really matter, you know, because it's it's all future stuff that it it doesn't really impact life. But it does. And there are some application points along the way that impact that. And I would say as well, go back in your podcast feed to two episodes ago, uh, season two, episode five, the 3D look at the chart and listen to that, because in that episode, we talked about how there's a danger for. Sliding things out of the proper column into a different column. But then we also talked about how there are times when different issues do slide appropriately to those different columns. And that's true for these issues as well. There can be a point where we can take a, a, a thing that properly belongs in the second column. But because perhaps of a, a, a incorrect conclusion or a a taking things too far with some things, it slides into that first column and becomes an issue, which is why we have, throughout this episode, have defined valid as non-heretical and consistent, because we don't want to take things too far with anything and end up being heretical. Yeah. Now, let's think of some
1: application. Uh, Josh Bice gave us some in that clip, saying you know, look, we're going to be at the conference together, but when it comes to Lord's Day worship, we're going to be in different churches uh, because we disagree on even just this one issue. Um, That is a real world thing. I mean, we live with different churches because, uh, you know, I'm out here in Mormon land. And so one of the things that gets thrown around a lot is what Joseph Smith first inquired of the Lord uh, which of these churches are right—the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Baptists—who who is right? And God said none of them. And so, let's have a a church that is uniform all the way down the line with all all areas of doctrine. Though it is so not, if you lived out here and talked to people, you would realize that um, for sure. But but the reality is, God has given us a stewardship in interpreting His Word, and therefore we have different believers who have come to different conclusions on different doctrines and go to different churches. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. As hard as that is to accept (laughs) in a fallen world. That's okay. One day we will be in 100% lockstep unity with our doctrine. When we see the Lord uh, and know him and have, have the closest relationship we could ever have with him. But in the fallen world, with the stewardship responsibility that we have, we have to say it's okay.
2: Yeah,
0: and the thing about it is when we are viewing things rightly in that column, we can have tremendous amounts of fellowship and unity with those other individuals in different churches despite those distinctions between us in those areas. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a lot more affinity and fellowship with someone who may disagree on eschatology or method of baptism, and I'm going to be happy to fellowship with them if we've got everything lined up in the in that first column. Then I am with some. There's a, there's a church not far from us that would be pretty pretty close to where we would be on eschatology in terms of premillennial and things like that, but their charismaticism has taken things so far. With things that they end up being heretical in other areas, uh so they have a little bit of messed up view on the deity of Jesus Christ and the uh, the nature of mankind and and the nature of god 's word and things like that those are those are touching on primary issues and they are heretical in those areas, but we agree on eschatology, so let 's fellowship with them. Well, <laughs> hold on now, mm-hmm. on the other yeah. hand, go go ahead. <laughs>
1: No, yeah, and it might not be, in some cases, it might not be that that person has, or that group or whatever, has gone all the way to heresy land, but you just see them on that track. Right. That, it makes you uncomfortable enough to say, I, I can't mm. fellowship with you, yeah. because you are headed fast uh, in a direction I don't want to go.
0: Right. And then on the flip side, I've, I've recently been interacting with uh, some people from two different churches up in this area that are they're not really super close by but they're they're within driving distance and start interacting with them and one church holds uh, their their confession of faith is the london baptist 1960 or is the the 19 six, blah, blah, blah. 1689 I got all my numbers mixed up there 1968 <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah 1689 uh, london baptist confession and the other church holds to the westminster uh, uh, confession of faith and so we have these different viewpoints They're not premillennial, and yet when we get together and we start talking about the gospel, and when I get together with them at an evangelistic event and they are proclaiming a crystal clear gospel, I rejoice in that and have tremendous fellowship and unity and a tremendous amount of affinity with these brothers knowing that we both agree on the gospel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and a, a passion for the things that matter, a passion for the glory of God, yes. not to elevate man, but to glorify God. Um, you know, a passion to see people be discipled and grow and mm. to honor the Lord with their lives. When you, when you have those kind of commonalities of those um, first column things, that, that's what really knits us together. And so we can easily look past some things in the second column, not trying to convert your Presbyterian friend to be a a Baptist, you know, because we have these like-minded passions rooted in the first column that really do outweigh whatever differences that we have. Now, again, that is not to say those things aren't important or you shouldn't talk talk about them. I've got um, a friend here in the state who's, uh, well, I'll just say his name, Jason Wallace. He's a, a friend of James White's. He's a Presbyterian. He's the one who coordinates a lot of James White's debates here in Utah, and he is constantly trying to convert me to Presbyterianism. It's half a joke and half not a joke. (laughs) Um, But we recognize that regardless of our differences, we have the same passion for the same things that are definitional to Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how he and James White have a friendship and a relationship like that, is because they... They see those commonalities. They recognize those commonalities.
0: Amen. So.
1: All
0: right. Well, yeah. About wraps up. Uh, anything else to say about that? I think. I don't have anything there, else <laughs> Yeah. I'm
1: sure there are like 700 <laughs> yeah. questions that, that people are asking themselves and would like us to answer. And if that's the case... Reach out to us. Oh, Ask yes. us a question. We might start our next episode answering your questions. So reach out to us and let us know at, uh, by email, show at dotheology.com. Send us a message on Facebook or Twitter. You can find us there, the Do Theology podcast on social media. At Do, do Theology. Yeah, at, at Do Theology mm-hmm. is where you can find us on social media. And um, if you don't have a question but you just enjoy these conversations, you enjoy the podcast, leave us a review like... One listener
0: did. Yeah, so if you listen, you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and go over there and drop us a review and let us know what you think. We got one review here that says, Smartest Guys on the Web. That's the title of that review. It says, It's so helpful to understand the biblical differences between primary and secondary doctrines. It changes how you approach all these discussions. The biblical approach is key when most approach this topic philosophically rather than biblically. Overall, these two guys are really smart and helpful, especially the bald one. Signed wow. one, somebody with initials K.C. I, I don't know who that could be. Kenneth Burton Chipchase <laughs>
1: left that review. You heard it. One of the hosts of the show <laughs> left a review. Now, now we see the stats. Uh, we know we have about 150 regular listeners right now. Uh, boy could 10% of you leave reviews 15 of you how cool would that be mm-hmm. that would be helpful um, you know we're still a young podcast trying to get traction going and your reviews really help I mean there's no there are no secrets about that your reviews are, are really helpful to us so would you consider doing that it's, it's a it's
0: like digital currency to us yeah so all right well anything else until next time. Do- Theology.
1: I like doing that. It's fun.